Hello, welcome to today's episode of Juice in the Numbers. I am your horse sounding host, Joshua Tracing. And I am your regular sounding host, Corbin Heller. And uh, today is our, this is our 42nd episode. Isn't that amazing? I know, it flew by. Really, actually, genuinely did. That sounded, uh, that sounded sarcastic and it wasn't. And uh, in honor of that, we'll be talking about the late, great Jackie Robinson. One of the few times we can actually see late and the man is actually deceased. Since we say that all, right. all the time and it's never all true. Right. Rest um, in peace, Wade Boggs. <laughs> and Boss Hogs. Uh, but uh, I actually just got back from a trip to Kansas City, which is the home of not just the Kansas City Royals, but also the Negro League Baseball Museum. So this is actually a pretty well-timed episode. Uh, that is also why my voice is very hoarse, as I am a lunatic at baseball games. And I went to, for the first time in my life, all three games of a series as the uh, Yankees took two out of three from the Kansas City Royals this past weekend. So that's why I sound like shit. And it's not like, you know, you're a voice of Adonis normally. So we're really giving the listeners a treat on this episode. Hey, my, my, my dulcet Jewish tones are phenomenal. I mean, compared to my monotone. I'm the Semitic Sinatra. Yikes. Yeah, that's right. Yikes. Oh, that's right. You love it. If you say so. So... Kansas City is awesome. I want to prep with that. People are way too fucking nice there, but in a in a that's fun way. That's your biggest. That's your no, biggest no, issue in a good everywhere. Way, in a good way. In a good way. Like like, they seemed very genuine, whereas Colorado felt very fake. Like Colorado felt like oh, I gotta be nice because everyone's being nice, and these smiles hurt my face. Whereas Kansas City, like people will just because you know what people people will bust their chops in Kansas City as a way of as a way of being okay. nice. Okay. Like we went to um this is this is barbecue joint. That's one of like the big places to go to called Arthur Bryant's, and we were right down the road from Arthur Bryant's on Brooklyn, and we were we were staying on Brooklyn. I know how funny is that. Brooks, or, Jesus <laughs> Christ, Josh staying in Brooklyn, in Kansas City, in Kansas City. Yeah, um, and like I was where I accidentally I like I meant to pack a bunch of Yankees shit, but I I wasn't thinking that much when I packed, and I accidentally packed only Yankees shit, so I didn't have any like neutral clothing to wear around town um because i just i just packed last fucking minute and like the guys at arthur bryant's were like busting my like the people cooking at arthur bryant's were busting my chops about it in like a fun way and that's what i mean is but being nice like they were okay. they seemed okay. more genuine like they were going to like give you a hard time with a smile though like a very i can get behind that yeah like that's what it was like it was really cool matt and i passed this uh this old dude walking past there's a castle in kansas city were you aware of that i'm not yeah, neither were we. We stayed like down the fucking road from it. We went to go visit at the Kansas City Workhouse, which Matt and I theorized might be the reason that the Kansas City Royals are the Kansas City Royals. Because there's a castle. Because there's a castle there in Kansas go. City. A uh, small one, but present. And this dude walked by wearing an I Am Kansas City shirt that had the castle on it as he was walking past the castle, as we were walking to the castle, so it was pretty funny. This jack-to-shit old dude who as we were walking past, like I was prepared for that New York thing of you don't acknowledge anybody. Right. And he go, he points at me and goes, boy, you work out? And I was like, yeah? And this was, uh, and he was just like, yeah, man, I can see it on you. I work out too, I'm 73 years old. This man, he was a black man, looked like he was 45. He was like, God bless me every day. God bless, God bless. I'm like, you got to go to the gym every day. You got to stay sharp. And then he started wiggling his pecs at me. And I'm like, this is the best interaction I've ever had in my life. 
And then he was like, I'm going to, he just kept saying a bunch of like friendly, but aggressively friendly shit. And then eventually he just wiggled his pecs and walked away. And it was amazing. He just kept, like every sentence ended with, God bless, God bless. <laughs> it was amazing. Absolutely amazing. Sweet fucking dude. <laughs> I want to know more. I want to know this guy's backstory. I want to know who he is. What makes him tick? I want him to come on the show. He was just friendly. Speaking of friendly, like, like Matt went to go take a piss and then go to take a smoke break during the first game of the doubleheader because you can smoke in Coffin Stadium. That seems like a very Midwest thing. Yeah, well, it's funny because Matt and I were talking about it. And it's like most of the stadiums I know of are outdoors to begin with. Yeah. I've always thought it was weird that stadiums didn't have smoking sections because, you know, people are doing it anyway. Some were shifting. Yeah. Um, and this dude walks up to him after he walks out the bathroom and just goes, because uh, I gave him my Thurman Munson jersey to wear because Matt doesn't have any jerseys. And he was like, Thurman Munson? I haven't seen Thurman Munson jersey in forever. You guys from out of town? And he was like, Oh uh, yeah. He goes, I'm gonna hook you. I'm gonna hook you and your buddy up. Why don't you? Why don't you come with me? And then just he brought us to a section that gave us free food and free drinks because he said he had to take care of the away fans. Even though we told him, Yeah, this wouldn't happen to the away fans in New York. Yeah, Fuck that's that the first thing I thought of. Like, what fucking Yankees fan would even allow an opposing fan into the stadium without being heckled, let alone taking them to like the premium VIP sections of said stadium. He was a... It, it makes you think. Maybe, Midwestern nice Maybe man. the Yankees really are the bad guys. Oh, not at all. I don't, think that, I don't think a Mets fan would do that shit either. Or a Phillies fan. That's just an East Coast thing. Maybe the East Coast is just the baddies. I think the East Coast just wants you to mind your fucking business. <laughs> so I think we can agree that we would draw the cutoff right at Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh starts the good side of the country. Might actually compare Kansas City to Pittsburgh a lot. Yeah, yeah, because it said it's it's it feels like it's uh, the same kind of city, like like blue collar, very spread out, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, one of the first things we did, the first first thing we did was we went to the old side of Municipal Field, which was legit right across the street from where we were staying. It's also on Brooklyn, and it was cool. It's it's got a really small, um, like section to it. Oh, uh, for for like like a, a memorial of what was there, because uh, most of it's actually houses now, and the you know the houses were called like municipal manor or some shit like that. Like it was a bunch of like little local townhouses and shit or uh, small time houses. It was it was really cool and it was nice to see like they didn't just honor some of the baseball legends that were there, like like Buck and Jackie and Satchel. They also honored like a few of like the um, early black football players who played in Kansas City as well. That they all had like a big pictures of themselves that were like put in um I forget what the material was and then with a, a plaque underneath saying who they were and when when they played in Kansas City and all that. So we stopped by that really quick to poke around a bit. Uh it was really nice. Then we went to get some Arthur Bryant's barbecue. We got some some brisket sandwiches. Shit was delicious. Mm, I'm so hungry right now. I I don't think I can stand you going into food. Well, you know I want you to but I don't think I could stand for I it. I won't too much, but you know what's weird, though, is is the uh, the Midwest or maybe Kansas City's obsession with white bread. Everything was white bread. Well, white bread's delicious. White bread's fine. It's a bit... Like, we ordered at, for barbecue at a restaurant, and it came on white bread. Like, no rolls, no anything, just white bread. Just white bread. And the thing is, like, the is menu... Is any did, of it toasted? No, just plain white bread. So just a sponge? Yeah, yeah. It made it hard to eat some of the stuff, actually. But, like, imagine you go to a restaurant, you order barbecue, you'd expect it to come just on a plate. Or on a roll or, you or know, whatever. Yeah. yeah. No, this came plate, 
white bread and then barbecue. It was very strange. Huh. Yeah, they just love white bread. I could see you like serving some white bread or some white toast with it because you might be able to make a nice little snack with that, piece it all together yourself so it's not soaking wet with barbecue sauce. Um, I don't know why you would think that that would be a proper sandwich. That's the thing. It wasn't even yeah. like presented as a sandwich because we we got bone-in chicken that they delivered to us on white bread. Like we weren't gonna it, make. Yeah, you know, it was strange. Is wheat just so prevalent there that they use it just to like line their plates? Cheap. Yeah, like yeah. Do people clean their dishes with pieces of white bread instead of sponges? Do they fucking shackle their house with it? I, don't I know. have no idea. Anyway, after we got some good barbecue, we went off to the. The Negro League Museum, and I was like dying with excitement. And it's not huge; it's pretty—I don't want to say pretty small, but like I feel like because you have a certain vibe of how big museums are from being museums around here. You know, you walk into the Met, you walk into the National History uh, or a Natural History Museum, you walk into MoMA. Like these are big fucking museums, and the um, Negro League Baseball Museum compared to those is minuscule. But the way that they have it set up, so you're saying the Negro Baseball League Museum in Kansas City is smaller than the MoMA. You know, I know, but I'm just saying, like, like you walk in, you go, oh, like I can, this is this is a quaint, casual. Quaint is a good word for it. Um, but the way they have it set up is really, really great. And one of the things I always tell people when I'm talking, when I like to talk about the Negro Leagues, because I'm just so fascinated with the Negro Leagues. I think it's such an interesting part of baseball in U.S. history. Is how much what happened with black baseball parallel what was happening with black people in the U.S. throughout its history. Uh, they kind of moved in synchronous with each other with one pushing the other along. And what they did throughout the museum is that they moved, as you would expect, kind of across history. They moved through time chronologically. But not only would they do it with... So imagine there was like two levels to what was happening. You looked straight forward and you would see a timeline of black baseball. You'd see you start with the 1800s and the first black people to play baseball, the first... Uh, like small time organized baseball for black people, like that kind of thing. And then if you looked down, you would see a timeline of what was happening with black people in the United States at the time, like outside of the world of baseball, you know, like when the civil war ended and when reconstruction started and when Jim Crow law started, like it would move throughout all that. So you could get a historical context of what was happening with the world of baseball, with the world of what was going on in just the U S I love when they do that. It was great. Like, so me and my dad loved going to museums. It was always like a thing when we were kids. Like, we, he would just want to go and take us to museums. And he was the fucking psychopath that would read every word ever printed anywhere in that museum. So, I mean, it turned into miserable days. But it got me to appreciate it. And the timelines is always something that I would love going and looking at. Like, just how events that happened in history in relation to moments that you learn about as a young kid or you learn in school and stuff like that like it adds such a i wouldn't say a realistic twist to it because of course it's realistic it it happened it's real but it gives you like a better understanding of exactly yeah, broader context yeah, exactly it's great i love it no it like we spent I didn't expect to spend nearly as much time in there as we did just because I knew it would be smaller. We spent two hours there. Hmm. And I'm usually a guy that, like, gets antsy at museums because there's so much to see. And I get kind of overwhelmed and I move on from things quicker than I want to. And 
I still feel like I did that. Um, just because there is so much packed into every square inch of this museum. Hmm. It's great. And I learned a bunch of crazy stuff like how I think the first um, small time where Lily's organized black baseball thing happened in like 1863 with the Civil War still going on. Yeah. And um, about how, how like the parallels extended to the fact that when um, Reconstruction was happening, you had black versus white baseball exhibition matches. And then when Jim Crow happened, those got shut the fuck down. And, you know, as, as segregation became more of a thing, the segregation in baseball world became more of a thing because those things extend on to each other, you know? And that extends all the way up to the... Until Jackie Robinson started breaking the color barrier and then we saw it kind of come down in other specific places, not because of Jackie entirely, but because people started seeing these things going on in different aspects of their life and that kind of pushes some things. Hmm. But it was really... They, not only the information, they had artifacts that were just, they had a set of catcher's gear from like the 1880s. It was crazy to see. Um, you kind of bob your, you can weave your way through this museum. They have of, um, life-size statues, life-size um, copper statues of these people. So That's pretty I think cool. The, the first one you see actually is of Buck O'Neill. And anyone who doesn't know Buck O'Neill, Buck O'Neill, if there was a single person to leave like the the, the biggest fingerprint on baseball especially in kansas city it's buck o'neill okay he was a player for the kansas city monarchs he was the player manager for the kansas city monarchs then he was the manager of the kansas city monarchs then he was the first black scout for the chicago cubs he was the guy who recommended they pick up ernie banks who they did and he became a hall of famer successful he was then the longtime scout for the Kansas City Royals, and I believe he was their first black scout as well. And he was also a baseball historian. He was one of the guys that got the Negro League Baseball Museum started, mm-hmm. um, and he was uh, heavily featured in Ken Burns' documentary about baseball. And so the first statue you see is Buck O'Neill's. It's not facing you, though. It's facing, at the end of the museum, there is a miniature baseball diamond that has copper statues or bronze statues of several of the main people in the game that you learned about along your, your little, your little ride at their position. So like the catcher was Josh Gibson and the pitcher was Satchel Paige. And um, like one of the outfielders was cool Papa bell. And, and they'd all have like these little plaques below that just show you, you know, their names and like when they played and what teams they were on and everything. And then, so you can see that from when you first walk in, but you can't get to it until the end. But looking on at the game from outside of the field, so to say, was the bronze statue of Buck O'Neill because he was a manager and a scout. And so that was kind of like his place in all of it. It's pretty fucking cool. It was really, it was really cool. Um, so they have a bunch of like bats from different major leaguers that or Negro leaguers that, that were, that were located within the confines of the museum. They had dozens, dozens of signed balls from different major uh, Negro leaguers throughout the, the thing as well. It was, it was an amazing, amazing museum, like very, very cool. I, I, I don't even know what to say. Like I saw that you were stopping and that you clearly wanted me to say something and i panicked i just sat there and stared it's like i what do i say do i say something like i don't feel like i have any information i can add just because i don't know 
really anything about the Negro Leagues. Like, well, I don't know much about the history of baseball in the first place, let alone something that people just don't really talk about anymore. Yeah, and that's kind of one of the things I, w- I was hoping... Matt ended up loving it, too. I went with one of my friends who was um, casually a baseball fan. Like, he'll watch it if, if someone he knows is watching it. And I was worried that he would just get bogged down in how, like, baseball-heavy this whole trip was, and this part of the trip in particular being the Negro League Museum. And he ended up loving it, too, because it's just... It's such an interesting little thing, especially because a lot of it... I, mean, I shouldn't say little. It's an interesting big part of U.S. history. A lot of it is is tough to find in one place because of how poorly kept a lot of those records were, mm-hmm. and so it's it's also just cool to see it from that perspective. So when you walk in, they have a, a few different like big picture things, like they have a history of um, there's this big chart that shows like all the different Negro League teams from all the different locations. So you know, it, it go state by state and show you all the different Negro League teams that existed in those states. So, like, in New York, it would have, like, the New York Black Yankees, the New York Cubans, uh, like, the New Jersey Eagles, um, all, all, and then it would go on for all of them, and then it would go down uh, vertically, and it would show uh, when they won the pennant and when they won the uh, Black World Series. And um, to kind of give you a perspective of just how many teams there were, there were so many teams. Um, so, it should goes on forever. Like, it it's... It's I I could easily go back and just spend the entire day reading all the things I didn't read the first time and still spend two hours there. It's very very in depth. How long do you think it would take you to go through and like start to finish, see everything they had to offer and read what they had? Oh, easily five five hours, easy. And I I really like I wish they offered or at least maybe I just didn't look for it. Um, guided tours because I would love to hear some of the stories that I've heard. The guy who runs the Negro League Baseball Museum was interviewed on CC Sabathia's podcast and told some of the stories mm-hmm. he's collected over the years, even though he has a multitude, uh, an infinite amount more that wouldn't get fit into a, an hour-long show like CC's is. And if you listen to that episode, just to get a flavor of some of these stories, they're ridiculous. They're amazing. They're absolutely amazing. I've never actually been on a guided tour anywhere. My my Like your dad, my grandparents are big... T- um, Museum people, and I uh-huh. feel as though I've been on guided tours with them before. Okay. But I also only think I did that when I was a kid and didn't care. Yeah. You did one at, like, Dodger Stadium, right? Yeah, you're right. I did. I did. That was a good fucking tour. That was yeah. a good tour. Um. Yeah, like, we'd always just go to museums and just start wandering around, you know? Like, it was just always stuff we did. I don't think uh, my dad especially wanted to do anything involving having to listen to someone else talk about something so yeah so with today being our 42nd episode i just wanted to talk about a few of the most famous negro leaguers including our guy jackie um who's that jackie robinson i'm unfamiliar yeah suck my dick (laughs) so jackie was the first black baseball player in the mlb and he was the first black baseball player, obviously, for the Dodgers. Let's start here, Corwin. Uh, I'm going to go through and just read the first black player for each baseball team that was active at the time of integration. Okay. Since, obviously, there'd be a first for other teams like the Arizona Diamondbacks, but they didn't start until 1995. And I don't think that's really a big deal. No, no one gives a shit at that point because you did it 
50 years after everybody else because you just started. <laughs> um, so first was Jackie Robinson, April 15th, which is still, I believe, Jackie Robinson Day. Second, uh, July 5th, Larry Doby on the Cleveland Indians, also 1947. And then 12 days later, Hank Thompson, the St. Louis Browns, July 17th. And we didn't have another one enter the league for about two years until the New York Giants took in Monte Irvin and Hank Thompson uh, in the same on the same day from what this uh, this website claims, July eighth, nineteen forty nine. I believe it is the same Hank Thompson from the St. Louis Browns. Uh, then Sam Jethro got added a year later on April eighteenth, nineteen fifty, to the roster of the Boston Braves. Then Minnie Minoso. Got added to the Chicago White Sox the year after that, May 1st, 1951. Bob Trice became a member of the Philadelphia A's two years later, September 13th, 1953. Four days after that, with Buck O'Neill behind the uh, the decision-making of this, the um, Chicago Cubs added Ernie Banks to their roster, September 17th, 1953. Kurt Roberts became a member of the Pittsburgh Pirates, April 13th, 1954. Tom Alston became a member of the St. Louis Cardinals, April 13th, 1954. Nino Escalera and Chuck Harmon became members of the Cincinnati Reds on April 17th, 1954. Carlos Paula, Washington Senators, September 6th, 1954. Elston Howard, I have his glove. I have a baseball card of him. He was a New York Yankee. Their first added in um, 1955, April 14th. John Kennedy became a member of the Philadelphia Phillies, April 22nd, 1957. Ozzie Virgil became a Detroit Tiger on June 6th, 1958. And the final of the original uh, teams during the integration era to add a black baseball player was the Boston Red Sox. Pumpsy Green was added on July 21st, 1959. Just another reason to hate the Boston Red Sox. They are racist. 12 years after the um, addition of Jackie Robinson, or the introduction of Jackie Robinson into the league. But these, this is a list of, of some of, just a few of the many pioneers of this sport. Um, and some really, all of these guys got, got their, their mention in the Negro League Museum. All these guys had a valuable contribution to the sport. Feels kind of cool to read their names again after I just got to go through the museum and see them there. So... I forget where this was when this happened, but I had a conversation with a guy and we were talking about African-American players in sports and, you know, I think it was uh, in the terms of how segregation helped, not segregation, desegregation. Integration. Integration, words, um, helped improve the level of play in the NFL. And he made this big argument where they weren't nearly as racist as we made them out to be. And it wasn't that big of a deal adding them into the league because black people just were not as athletic as they are today. That is a horrifyingly racist thing to say. Yeah, so I didn't really... It kind of clicked to me that this isn't a person I'm going to have a quality conversation with. And there's no... Convincing this man otherwise. Yeah, man. Yeah. 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 Then you just walk away. Exactly. That's exactly what I did. I was like, I am done with this conversation. I just am amazed that someone would have that kind of attitude towards it today. Yeah. Well, I had a guy 
Matt and I had an Uber driver tell us we were staying in the hood. Um, he said it with the most southern accent I heard while I was there. Um, the hood. He was like, oh, y'all be staying in the hood? I was like, Matt and I turned on each other, and we're staying at a place that, like, are, are this guy's neighbors had wreaths on the front door. They had <laughs> patio furniture, like, nice patio furniture. Everyone left their car out. Like, I've experienced the hood in my time in Newark and Patterson, Camden, um, Harlem. This is, this is no. we didn't hear a gunshot. We didn't see people randomly playing in the street. Like, it was... Uh, it was not the hood. That guy just uh, was afraid of them black. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was when Matt and I just both went like, yeah, man, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be careful out there. My favorite marker for when you're in the hood is when there's indoor furniture outside and outdoor furniture inside. Yeah, that was not. Uh, we stayed, like I said, like, on Brooklyn down the road from Arthur Bryant's. Um, that whole like jazz district is super nice. Like, it... It definitely seems like it's coming on, on. It's on the come up. Like they're building a lot of new housing uh, buildings, and like that we passed by a relatively new looking apartment building. Um, so it, it doesn't look like it's a metropolis, but it's like a nice. Everyone we met there was so fucking nice and so fucking friendly. Um, Good on Kansas City. No, Kansas City is like a righteous place. I'm so down to go back to it at some point in my traveling journeys. So let's just let's just jump on over to uh, to talk about Jackie for a little while. So let's look at let's let's look at uh, just a brief history of Jackie Robinson. Uh, he was born in Cairo, Georgia, on January thirty first of nineteen nineteen. So he's Egyptian. <laughs> Some might say. I don't think he would. Uh, he played all of his MLB time for the Brooklyn Dodgers. He was a Negro leaguer for a brief period of time. He played with the Kansas City Monarchs for one season in nineteen forty five. Uh, he was signed by the Dodgers in 1946, where he was sent to their minor league team in Montreal for one year. So in 1946, he played for the Montreal. I forget what their actual team name was. Uh, before joining the Dodgers in 1947, where he spent the next nine years until 1956, when he ultimately retired after the Dodgers tried to trade him to the Giants. And he was like, fuck them Giants. I'm going to quit baseball. <laughs> and uh, Quite fitting, did. actually. Quite yeah. fitting. I mean, you got to figure the Giants of the Dodgers were and still are the Dodgers' biggest rival. I mean, Understandable, he would not want to go there. And this was going to be this was the season that they moved to Los Angeles and San Francisco, respectively. Yeah. So he also didn't want to do that. I'm sure moving cross country was the big factor there. I think both, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I plus, I mean, Jackie starting had such for an a new team career. such late in your career and having to move cross country. It yeah, it's a lot. Some of his accolades. Uh, he was he a, a six-time All-Star from 1949 to 1954. He won the World Series with the Dodgers in 1955. He was the National League MVP in 1949, which was also the year um, of his first All-Star appearance. He won the very first MLB Rookie of the Year award when it was instituted in 1947. He was the NL batting champion in 1949, two-time NL stolen base leader in 1947 and 1949. His number 42 was retired by the Los Angeles Dodgers and by all of baseball. He has a plaque in Monument Park, and he is a member of the uh, Major League Baseball All-Century Team, as well as being a member of the Hall of Fame, inducted in 1962. First ballot. Way to go. Let's go over some of his... It's almost as if he was a really good baseball player. He was a very... So that's one of the interesting things, and I, I talked to this about Matt when we got to the Josh Gibson part of uh, the, B, the the baseball museum, 
because one of the things I learned about Josh Gibson, who was um, a catcher for the Homestead Grays, I think most notably, which was uh, one of the two Pittsburgh teams, along with the Pittsburgh Crawfords. Um, And he was considered the black Babe Ruth or the right-handed Babe Ruth, or if you were a progressive person of the time, you'd say that Babe Ruth was the white Josh Gibson, um, which bothers me because it feels derogatory towards Josh Gibson. He doesn't need to be compared to Babe Ruth. He was a phenomenal ball player. Um, I feel like that's just natural, though, when you have... People like doing when, it for everyone. Yeah, like... Yeah, I don't like it. He's, it's like, oh, everyone is the next, you know, Tom Brady or the next Michael Jordan, stuff like that. People yeah. always compare it to... It drives me insane. ...the bar for comparing great players. Yeah. I, it, uh, yeah, no, I, 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 I was, I'm never a fan of it. You're right, in any of those just, contexts, it would bother me. Just on a non-sequitur, um, I forget what team it was, but in the NFL, there was a scouting department where you had to put in five or, uh, five or $25 every time a scout would compare a prospect to a Hall of Fame player. The White Sox did that same thing, but with Nerf guns. Really? Or water guns, yeah. That's every time, cool. Every time you compared a, a, a draft prospect to a Hall of Famer, you got squirted with a work gun. That's, a squirt gun. that's pretty funny. Yeah. Um, you know, so in, in regards to Jack Robinson being a great baseball player, which, which he was, there was a lot of people upset that he was the person ultimately selected to go to the majors um, by Branch Rickey, including Josh Gibson, um, who was not so upset, I guess, that Jackie was the one who ended up going because he passed away before Jackie signed his deal with Branch Rickey. But Josh Gibson was one of those guys who was just so upset he never kind of got there that he ended up drinking himself to death. Damn. Uh, Satchel Page, I think, was one of the ones who was genuinely upset that Jackie actually was one of the guys to go until he got picked up by the St. Louis Browns, um, I, th- I think in 49 or 50, something to that effect. Uh, anyway, so let's look at some of Jackie Robinson's stats just to get an idea of who he was as a player. So first off, Jackie Robinson in just nine seasons accumulated 61, sorry, 10 seasons accumulated 61.4 wins above replacement. That's pretty fucking great. Which is basically saying that on average he was worth 6.14 wins above replacement, which is an all-star year every Mm -hmm. year. Yeah, which is fantastic. Yeah, he played from his age 28 season to his age 38 season, 37 season. Uh, He retired with 1,518 hits. How old was he when he debuted in the MLB? 28. Okay. So he missed out on a significant part of his career. Yeah, I mean, basically his... Maybe like pre-prime, but mm-hmm. like leading into his prime, especially for someone who was so athletic. Um, especially because one of the things about Jackie Robinson, this is actually kind of an interesting deviation. I'll, I'll take. I learned this from Ken Burns' documentary series, is that he was uh, like a track and field athlete. He was a football player, and he was a baseball player when he was in college. And he got actually told, I believe, to go into football because he'd have an easier route to it. Because I think people viewed football as being more brutish which therefore made it more suitable for black people to play. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't as much contention with them playing, especially with like running back being the position that's most common because all they got to do is run with the football, whereas baseball was the gentlemanly white man sport. Um, and Jackie said, fuck that shit. I like baseball. I'm going to play baseball. I'm going to go play in the MLB. And, of course, he went and did it. Um, so just from a guy being that athletic, I'm, I'm sure he didn't need... Um, 
I'm sure he he would have been exceedingly productive in that time. So yeah, uh, who is that? Moses. Yeah. Yeah, I think he was um he was one of the guys that that was playing baseball. Can you read the full name for me again? Yeah. Uh, fuck. It was like Moses Fleetwood Atwood or some shit like that. It'll be Moses Fleetwood Walker. Moses Fleetwood Walker. Yeah, he I believe was like an 1870s baseball player. Um, that got kicked out of the league right around the time Jim Crow law started and reconstruction ended. I believe is um what he was one of those. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, so Jackie also retired with uh, 137 home runs to his name, three uh, 734 RBIs, 197 stolen bases, um, a batting average of 311 on base of 409, slugging of. 474 with a career OPS of 132. Um, yeah. That's pretty great. Dude was pretty fucking good. Was that OPS plus or did he have a 1300 OPS? No, it was 132 OPS plus. His OPS okay. was 883. Very respectable. Yeah. Yeah, he was a really fucking good ball player. Uh, yeah, pr- played predominantly second base, although he also made some appearances at third base and first base. And... Uh, I see a little bit of left field in there, but uh, yeah, this was a uh, this was this was Jackie Robinson all the way. Amen, Jackie. So I want to talk a little bit, maybe if we could, just just a, a spot mention at some other great Negro leaguers since we have a little bit of time. Uh, one of my favorites, I bought his jersey while I was out there, is Satchel Paige. I got it sitting over there. I'll show it to you uh, later. Yeah, we'll check yeah. It out. Um, also in the MLB Hall of Fame. Uh, Satchel Page is such a unique character because I have a, 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 a born date here, but I'm not confident that it's true because I'm not <laughs> confident anyone ever really knew how old Satchel Page was. <laughs> and that was part of his gambit. He believed that um, people not knowing how old he was made him a tougher pitcher to face because it, it made people um, question everything he was doing. You know, so he would m- misinform a lot of people if he was able to thought it made him more uh mysterious and deceptive that's pretty cool he claimed to have like over 50 different pitches he threw um they all had fun little names i guess we can get into a little bit later if i can find some readily but satchel page was born in uh, july 7th of 1906 in mobile alabama and died on june 8th of 1982 at the age of 75 in kansas city missouri kansas city man it's the mecca yeah, I mean, well, we'll go through the, the the teams he played for, but mostly, most predominantly, he played for the Kansas City Monarchs, and then his last MLB appearance at the age of fifty nine was for the Kansas City Athletics when they were uh, briefly a Kansas City team before moving to Oakland. That's I didn't realize they were in Kansas City at all. Yes, they were there for I want to say like maybe ten years. Oh wow! Um, yeah, they they went from Philly to Kansas City to Oakland, and then that's when Kansas City got the Royals in the late sixties, early seventies. So, it's it, there's a caveat with his Negro League lineage, which I'll read out. Um, the caveat is that because record-keeping was bad and because Negro League teams were often poorly funded, they oftentimes didn't have the salary or the, 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 the income to pay all of their star players well. And that led to a lot of star players bouncing around between teams from when they could afford them. And uh, that all, that led to some of the bigger name players playing for like a whole bunch of different teams, which includes Satchel. So 
amongst his various uh, Negro League teams that he played for, Satchel Page played for the Chattanooga Black Lookouts, the Birmingham Black Barons, the Baltimore Black Sox, the Cleveland Cubs, the uh, Pittsburgh Crawfords, the Kansas City Monarchs, the Trujillo All-Stars, the New York Black Yankees, the Memphis Red Sox, the Philadelphia Stars. And then for major leagues, he played for the Cleveland Indians from 1948 to 1949, the St. Louis Browns, 1951 to 1953, and the Kansas City Athletics in just 1965. His career uh, highlights... He was a two-time All-Star in the MLB, 1952 and 1953, both the St. Louis Browns. He was a five-time Negro League All-Star. He was a World Series champion in 1948 with the Indians. He was a Negro League World Series champion in 1942, and which I think he was with the Monarchs at that time. He was. And he is in the Cleveland Indians Hall of Fame as well as the MLB Hall of Fame. Actually inducted one year earlier than Jackie Robinson, 1971. I think he retired earlier than Jackie. Yeah, I think he retired one year earlier than Jackie. Uh, He did. He retired two No, he retired later than Jackie. Jackie retired. Oh, damn it. Now I'm doing this on the fly. Jackie retired in 1956. Satchel retired in 1965. So, yeah, Satchel made it in before Jackie. Damn. Yeah, it's fucking wild. I mean, I don't know. That's kind of cool. I guess it was uh, a lot of... Oh, it's 62 for, for, for Jackie. Versus 71 for, for Satchel. My bad. Okay. Okay, yeah. I went back. Yeah, I I, I read Jackie's wrong. I thought it was. I thought That's he fair. was 72 instead of 62. That's fair. That makes so much more sense. I was going to say, what the fuck was that? Uh, yeah, Satchel Page um, was known for like his enormously high leg kick when he would throw as well as his just bullet of an arm and pinpoint control. Um, he was a strikeout machine. He pitched forever. He often was a proponent of playing in South America because he believed that these South Americans treated uh, the black baseball players with more reverence and more appreciation of their skill and held a lot of resentment towards America at the time hmm. for not having the same, which was very true. And you got to give him credit for that. Um, although he still did a lot of, so one of the other things that we learned at the Negro League Museum that I had kind of known, but it really painted a bigger picture is how much the Negro Leagues did for spreading baseball to South America and Latin America, because they couldn't get a lot of gigs playing up in North America because major leagues didn't want them. So they would play baseball series again in the DR, in Puerto Rico, in in Cuba, Mm -hmm. in Mexico, which are like big time baseball countries now. And they would get treated with a lot of reverence, and several players would actually give up their American citizenship to live in and play in um, really? Latin America because they were just treated huh. so much better. That's pretty cool. All hotels were accessible to them. Um, all restaurants were accessible to them. So they were treated as, you know, people. Y- yeah, shockingly enough. Whereas um, this term has become more popular because a movie just came out, but there was uh, a thing that was passed around amongst black baseball teams called a Green Book, which held the names of hotels and restaurants uh, throughout the U.S. that would serve black people. Hmm. That I never saw the movie, so now that m- would make sense why it's called The Green Book. I never saw the movie either because I, I, I heard it was problematic and I didn't want to deal with it, um, even though I love Mahershala Ali. Um, Mahershala, I always say his name wrong. But, yeah, so that was that was how a lot of that got communicated, which is also why a lot of like black baseball teams would have some Hispanic roots, like the fact that one of the Negro League teams is called the New York Cubans. 
Where are their players from? Oh, all over. So not Cuba. Uh, I th- they don't I'm sure. Th- I'm sure there were some Cubans on the uh, <laughs> on the team, but not, not not that I can name offhand since I'm not super familiar with those rosters offhand. Um, Satchel Paige's career stats as part of a major leaguer, though, um, he had an ERA over the course of his 476 major leagues innings pitched, an ERA of 3.29. He pitched in 179 games. Uh, he started 26 of them. He finished 109 of them with seven complete games, four of which were shutouts. He had 33 saves. He allowed 429 hits, um, 174 earned runs. In 476 innings pitched, he allowed 29 home runs. Yeah, which is just nothing. I, I, I know, I know. Jesus Christ. He had 288 strikeouts. And a career ERA plus of 124. He had a FIP of 3.28. And he had a whip of 1.279. So big, soft contact kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. It certainly would appear so. Definitely didn't have the strikeout numbers. But I don't know if anyone did back then. Plus, his first major league appearance in 1948, he was 41 years old. So he he didn't even get... A taste of his prime. All right, fair like, enough. Like how Jackie did. Fair enough. Yeah. So the fact that he did all this a between forty-one-year-old pitcher who goes on to pitch four hundred innings is, you know what? Amen to that. Almost five. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he pitched his forty-one through fifty-eight age seasons. Um, well, sure. he pitched his forty-one, forty-two age season. There was a year break, a two-year break. He pitched forty-four, forty-five, forty-six, and then a twelve-year break when he pitched. Um, just three innings, I believe. Yeah, three innings for the Kansas City Athletics at age 58. I'd love to see that game. Now, there's a great picture of him sitting on the uh, the, the sideline bullpen in a rocking chair with a nurse next to him. <laughs> looking I've like a picture, very old yeah. man. Uh, but, hey, in that, in that one game, those three innings, he allowed one hit and one strikeout and no runs. Yeah. Nothing else, no walks. I remember they did, like, the whole uh... – rocking chair with the nurse thing just you know poking fun at him yeah. he didn't actually need to be in a rocking chair with a nurse yeah no they just, definitely yeah. they definitely just played it up a little bit um i do have a attempt by baseball reference to gather his negro league mexican and independent and all those other league stats um as best that they could which i understand is probably exceedingly hard uh, but if you add all of his various levels together, um, which I'm trying to find if they actually did, it seems like they've had a tough time because there's no ERA listed for his um, Negro League Baseball 18 seasons served there. Um, they do have uh, RA9, which I think is runs allowed. Yeah, runs average 9, which I guess was the, ER, or the ERA of um, the Negro Leagues what they used in its place. Um, so for that, for his Negro League Baseball career, he had a 3.1. He started 244 games. He had 130 complete games, 40 shutouts, 1,828.1 innings pitched. Um, he had 1,620 strikeouts, 310 walks. There was 316 walks. Uh, and he had a whip of 0.921. Um, was just yeah, that's that's him, man. Man knew how to pitch. Man knew how to fucking pitch. 
Uh, hey, he also hit one home run in his entire life. <laughs> I mean, he's got the same stats as Bartolo Colon now. Yeah, that's how you know you really made it. When you can finally match Bartolo Colon. So he's the old Bartolo Colon, you would say. Uh, he hit it as a member of the Pittsburgh Crawfords in 1932. There you go. Look at this research on the fly right Pittsburgh, here. Pittsburgh, baby. Yeah, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh Crawfords. Which the other one is compared to the Ooh. Pittsburgh or the uh, Homestead Grays, which is where uh, Josh Gibson played. So a brief uh, aside about Josh Gibson, uh, or a brief amount of time spent on him. He was born ni- December 21st, 1911 uh, in Buena Vista, Georgia. He died on January 20th of 1947 of age 35 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He spent his entire career in the Negro Leagues. He played for the Homestead Grays, the Pittsburgh Crawfords, the Dragones de Ciudad Trujillo, uh, the Homestead Grays again, the Azules de Veracruz, and the Homestead Grays a third time. And like I said, Homestead Grays were a popular team, so they had money. But because he was Josh Gibson and could command a larger salary, he would bounce around. Fair enough. He was a 12-time All-Star for um, many of these teams. He was a two-time World Series Negro League World Series champion in 30, 43 and 44 as a member of the Homestead Grays. He's also in the Washington Nationals Ring of Honor, uh, and he's a member of the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame, the MLB Hall of Fame, inducted in 1972. Also a very good ball player. Who would have thought? Yeah, shocking. Um, so they have it listed as being um, 113 home runs hit in his uh, 16 Negro League seasons. The number that you often hear thrown around as being his max is around 800, which would have put him in the same ballpark as Sadaharu O. But that, that number doesn't get represented due to Poor record keeping at the time, um, especially considering where these guys were playing and all those conditions and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So the the true number will never be revealed. Because uh, we don't know it. it. Yeah, and we never will. Um, people who knew Josh Gibson and played with Josh Gibson said he hit the ball just farther than you'd see anyone else hit it, that he had several rumored over 500 home runs, just a massive power hitter. Um a, a, a threat at the plate and a great catcher behind it. Uh, so I'm more willing to say, I'm very willing to say, I'm very comfortable saying that 113 home runs sounds way too low. Way too low. Um, for anyone. Well, for, for over a man that's revered. Yeah, especially over 16 seasons. Yeah. 10 home runs a season is minuscule. Yeah, whereas uh, Jackie ha- is credited with having 137 career home runs in his 10 MLB seasons. Um, and I'm, I'm so he has more home runs in a shorter period of time than one of the greatest home run hitters of all time. And Josh Gibson would be going up against significantly worse pitching. So I just, it's just, just poor record keeping, which it, it happens, um, yeah. especially at this point in time. Uh, but this was, this was the unfortunate reality of Josh Gibson. Uh, again, I said that he, Ended up drinking himself to death as a result of his just feeling of never going to kind of make it to the majors despite his talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was considered by all who knew him and all who played with him and against him as being one of the 
all-time greats of the Negro Leagues. So I wanted to give him a shout as well. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So the Negro League Museum is awesome. Kansas <laughs> City is really fucking cool. Uh, you going man, back? I hope to. your next tri- trip yet? <laughs> uh, I got other places I want to go that I want to make sure I hit up first. Fair enough. But uh, hoping to make it out to Toronto this year so I can cross another baseball stadium off my list when the Yankees are in town in September. Go see Vlad. See a little bit of Vlad. See that space needle. <laughs> see what happens up there. I uh, hope not to fall off. I hope not to lose my voice because this hurts. <laughs> yeah, I don't doubt it. Um, there's just two things I wanted to talk about. Uh, of course, I just finished of course. up uh, Astro Ball, a uh, book about the rise of the Houston Astros from just a absolute garbage franchise to World Series winner. Um, it goes really uh, deep into the front office staff starting out uh, when they were in St. Louis and the kind of systems and things they put in place there to really build up their farm system and how they were so successful in their drafts, um, especially in like 2009. Uh, And then how they discovered the star players of the Astros franchise and their winning team, Um, Carlos Correa, Jose Altuve, George Springer, um, they talk about Justin Verlander a lot. Um, it's really cool talk, like looking into their scouting department, what differentiated them and how they were able to find these guys. Their decision-making process was a huge part of this. It was just all around a great book uh, that really just helped dive into the background of it um, with their, you know, I want to say it's their GM, their director of scouting, all that kind of stuff. So highly recommend it. I know Josh will like it. Uh, and I also, for something completely different, I had myself a jazz cigarette last night and watched the Lonely Island's Bass Brothers special. That was amazing. We watched that in Kansas City. That was wild. That was amazing. That was one of the best 30 minutes of my life. Um, highly so recommend for it. those of you that don't know... The Bass Brothers, Mark McGuire and Jose Consenco, uh hit a lot of home runs and did a lot of steroids. Also, real quick, just an aside, because um, it seems so fucking random, but Jose Canseco was the first Cuban-born baseball player to play in the MLB. Wow. Doesn't that seem crazy? Yeah. Because he like, what, wasn't an old player. Like, no. Not like it's this not was like in this the was 40s with Jackie. A super long time ago. And I also didn't realize he was Cuban. I mean, I guess the whole embargo and war with Cuba, kind of. But yeah, so Jose Canseco is the first Cuban-born baseball player to uh, make the MLB. That's but, actually fucking wild. Yeah, anyway, continue. Um, and so the Lonely Island, the musical group, worked with SNL a lot, decided they wanted to make a visual poem about Jose Canseco and Mark McGuire. And it's fantastic. It's amazing. It's beautiful. I highly recommend doing some kind of drug before watching it because visually it's all over the place. It's it's meant to be viewed that way. Um, but the actual music involved is really good. The editing is really good. Like the production, design, everything. Everything about it is really good. And if you're like an old school hip hop person, they do a lot of stuff that's like around like the talent. Like there's there's a very clear Run DMC number. Mm-hmm. There's a very clear Beastie Boys number. Like 
There's it, there's there's some good shit there. It's all rap. It's just a thirty minute rap special with you know some stuff in between, but it's 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 so fantastic. Yeah, it's a, uh, that that one bit with Andy Samberg with the broom up his ass had <laughs> me rolling. Uh yeah, yeah. No, it. Uh, it's I also think it's funny that you know like, these are two of the biggest dudes in baseball at the time, and they did and, not put on bodies no. for that except for that one that scene. one scene where they and, wore uh, bodysuits. Yeah, and, and and the fact that they just got these skinny ass white yeah. dudes. It was really funny. That uh, that was the part that kept throwing me in, into tears. It was just like these scrawny ass dudes just like, but fucking muscles. Yeah. Great, great impression. But yeah. that's exactly what it was like. Word for word. Yeah, Matt asked me, why did they make this at the very beginning? And I was like, oh, it's going to be funny. It's like they just made a baseball thing. And then you get like, you get 10 minutes in and you're like, yeah. why did they make this? Like, how did they get the idea for it? So where did this come from? I had to think. Fuck! I had a re- I should have written it down. I had a great reasoning why last night while I was watching it, um, and I just completely blanked on it. I forgot to write it down. So you will never know my secret genius. I apologize. That's okay. But anyway, to just to wrap up, I want to yep. I want to I want to shout out to the Negro League Baseball Museum. That's it's in, again in Kansas City. I want to shout out to CC Sabathia, not that he needs it, but shout him out anyway for being uh, just a, a huge vocal proponent of it, and that is literally the reason I went out there. It was based on the recommendation of, of, of him and hearing him talk about it and bringing guests on um, his show to talk about it, as, as well as just my own general interest in that, that time period. Uh, if you liked and any of the, the, the little things we talk about today, this is barely scratching the surface and i mean barely scratching the the surface of this shit um highly worth your time and energy check out their website uh look for talks at the man who runs it as given follow him on twitter like um it's just at negro league baseball museum um really 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 recommend uh diving into this but anyway Shall we wrap up? Let's do it. All right. If you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at JuicingPod. If you want to uh, hit us up on email, you can do so uh, via our, what, our email address, JuicingTheNumbers at gmail.com. And if you want to check out our website for the show notes for this episode and all previous episodes, you can do so at JuicingTheNumbers.Wixsite.com slash website. And until Monday, y'all have a good one. Peace.